Aloha, my name is Jaren, and welcome to the Bridgetown Daily for Tuesday, February 23rd. Now, as you may be able to tell by the end of this daily, I have literally been feeling so giddy and excited to highlight the life of this African faith leader who many, myself totally included, consider to be one of the main pioneers and lead voices on world Christianity studies. He actually just passed away back in January of 2019, but his legacy will for sure live on in the decades to come. Prior to his death, he was the D. Willis James Professor of Missions and World Christianity at Yale Divinity School, which was a position he held from 1989 all the way to 2019. And this man's name is Lamin Sana. Circa 1942, Lamin was born and raised in Gambia, Western Africa, as a descendant of an ancient African royal family. And he was actually raised in a devout Muslim polygamous family within an Islam-saturated community, where he remained a devout Muslim throughout his youth and even teenage life. In his memoir titled, Summon from the Margin, Homecoming of an African, He tells the story of his unlikely homecoming to Jesus Christ as a devout Muslim in a devout Muslim family, hence the title. And this happened through the proximity to a born-again evangelical Christian. He began his journey of Christian faith in the midst of what his biography describes as the late 1950s and the 60s, where much of the colonized world had achieved independence. But in the immediate post-colonial backlash, it was argued that mission work was the willing instrument of colonial administrators and settlers. Missionaries had been set loose to introduce a false piety, weaken resistance, and prepare Native Africans to acquiesce to colonial control. And as agents of Western cultural alienation, they enabled settlers to annex African land with ease. End quote. So as I hope you're beginning to see, Sana had became what was a first-generation Jesus follower in the midst of a multi-generational colonial history in Africa that had a kind of baggage that Sana explains as unwholesome and selfish motives that left African indigenous cultures ravaged and seen less than human on account of the colonial overlords and their Darwinian evolutionary scale. And what made matters worse for the African church and missionary work was the unfortunate narrative blending of colonialism with cross-cultural missionary work, mainly because mission work in Africa, initially at least, was a gift to African indigenous cultures in his account, but more on this later. And to make matters more eye-opening, in the late 1960s through the 80s, Sana was beginning to make his mark in the halls of Western academia, where he experienced time and time again the same question that rings, does Christianity belong in the halls of Western Eurocentric Protestantism? Theologian Christopher Wright, as a white theologian working from the West, explains the mindset in the Western church and academia more in depth. And he says this, the assumption in the West was that other places are contexts and they do their theology for those contexts. We, of course, in the West have the real thing, the objective contextless theology. This assumption is being rightly challenged and the West is finally seen for what it is, a particular context of human culture, not necessarily any better or worse than any other context for reading the Bible and doing theology. 
You see, this elitist ideology of our interpretation, our church praxis, our understanding of God is the way. That ideology that plagued the Western church during much of Sana's tenure is why I and many others like myself believe that he truly was summoned by God from the margins for the powerful purpose of reclaiming the diversity of the kingdom of God. And in his words, Christianity does not primarily depend on a fixed language or culture and has no exclusive geographical frontier. It thus comes as a liberating message to every person and culture. Amen and amen. So just two quick words on how Laman Sana responded to ethnocentric Christianity and advocated for world Christianity as a significant backdrop for any follower of Jesus to be exposed to. Firstly, he responded to ethnocentric Christianity by untethering the colonial horrors from the initial missionary work in Africa simply by articulating through his decades of study that while many of the missionaries carried and lived out unwholesome motives, what stands out is the emphasis missionaries gave to translating scripture into vernacular languages. This is, his, this is in his account. Missionaries confidently adopted local languages, a new and bold move for the era. And in doing so, they were affirming local cultures as vessels to carry the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to explain that far from destroying the indigenous cultures, missionary work initially catalyzed the preservation and stimulation of these distinct cultures. And missionaries helped to preserve the native languages rather than disseminating them through preserving the languages, customs, and stories that shaped the ethos of the distinct cultures right in the midst of colonial threat to westernize language barriers. So it was through his work on missiology and gospel translation where we get the brilliant phrase that says the original language of Christianity is translation. So in a nutshell, Sana's work and voice was key in distinguishing the colonial narrative with the missionary narrative in Africa, while remaining very clear that while neither of them were perfect, the missionary movement played a key role in the translation of the gospel. And furthermore, alongside the translation of scripture into the vernacular languages, Sanaa played a pivotal role in the African reflection on and contribution to the understanding of Jesus Christ. Timothy Tennant explains that, and he says here, for many years, African Christians were not encouraged to reflect on this question for themselves. Who do people say the son of God is that we find in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13? Instead, they were taught to mimic what they had been taught. They were in effect answering the question, who do the missionaries say the son of man is? The Africans learned to faithfully repeat what they had been taught about Christ. But as the number of African Christians grew and theological reflection deepened, many Africans began to sense the Lord Jesus turning to Africans as Africans asking, who do you say I am? This question stimulated a whole generation of African Christians and theologians, men and women, educated and illiterate, to speak out about the meaning of Jesus Christ for the African. And Sana, answering the call of Jesus, who asked him, who do you say I am, wrote his most well-known and prophetic book called Whose Religion is Christianity?, in which he writes about the gospel's geographic and cross-cultural expansion to all kinds of places 
and people. And Selme Sanan, who is a Roman Catholic archbishop in the country of Burkina Faso, describes the African and minority experience when reflecting on Jesus Christ so well, though. Sanan begins by picturing the scene of Peter and John running to the empty tomb. This is in John chapter 20. And John outran Peter and arrived first, but he didn't go inside. Peter arrived and went into the tomb and saw that the body was gone. He also noticed that the grave clothes were carefully folded up and placed to one side. Everything seemed to be neat and in a state of order. John also entered into the tomb, and as the text declares, he saw and believed. And there in the empty tomb, Peter and John joined the women, who had earlier become the first witnesses to the resurrection. And in a new and profound Christological reflection, they say, He is the risen Lord. And Sanan goes on to point out how generation after generation has symbolically followed the women and the disciples into the empty tomb and have also contemplated and reflected on Jesus. They put various words and descriptors about Jesus Christ all over the empty tomb. Indeed, they left everything in good order, well classified, and neatly explained. The Africans are some of the last people to arrive at the tomb, he says. And when they do arrive, Sanan asks, what can be said of Jesus of Nazareth that has not already been said? Those who have gone before have left behind creeds and formulations, icons and images, theology and sculptures. Everything has been tried on, everything done, to transmit the best of this face to deliver the secret of its beauty. And yet, the full Christological puzzle will not be complete until the Africans have reflected long and deep on what it means for Christ to come into Africa and even beyond. So insert for today, Dr. Laman Sana, and for the other days, the many, many African and African-American theologians, pastors, and faithful followers of Jesus in various vocations. And here's where I personally am indebted to Sana's legacy as a follower of Jesus. His work and encouragement from afar exhorted me at times when I deeply struggled when looking at my bookshelf predominantly full of white and European theologians and thinkers and asking myself, how can I, as a fourth generation Japanese boy from Hawaii, who comes from a different culture, different ethnicity, a different way of life even, contribute to the body of Christ here in Portland? And I've asked and felt this question come up in me many, many times throughout my eight years living in a different cultural context. And at many points in time, I find, I find myself thinking what Anselme Sanan articulated so well when he said, what can be said of Jesus of Nazareth that has not already been said? Those who have gone before and even those in the Western church have already got it all, tried it all, done it all. And most of them don't look like me or come from where I come from. But I kid you not. It was through this short paragraph Sana wrote on African Christianity where I felt God break into my discouragement and offer me an invitation to contribute to his kingdom. And it says this, Africans sensed in their hearts that Jesus did not mock their respect for the sacred or their clamor for an invincible savior. So they beat their sacred drums for him until the, the stars skipped and danced in the skies. And after that dance, the stars weren't so little anymore. 
Christianity helped Africans to become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. So mahalo nui loa, Dr. Laman Sana, for reminding my brothers and sisters and I of all different colors and walks of life that we are all being renewed, not remade. That in the words of Dr. Benner, we should never be tempted to think that growth in Christ-likeness reduces our uniqueness. So in Jesus' name, may we all contribute to his kingdom through our renewed selves. <laughs>